Um, some of you may or may not know, but there's been a, uh, a kind of a, a movement of prayer, and uh, Doug Small, one of our own, is is participating as as one of the leaders in that uh, movement, uh, along with the Franklin Graham Association and Church of God. Many denominations, in in essence, are joining together to pray, and uh, as we lead up to Pentecost, which is uh, this coming Sunday. Celebrate Pentecost Sunday. I just want to encourage you to pray. Pray for our nation. Pray for our communities. Pray for our churches. Pray for all those who are trying to stand on truth. Amen. And so uh, with that said, let's go and go to the Lord in prayer for that purpose. All right. Father, we surrender to you, Lord. God, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you, God, that we are yours. You have bought us with a price. We're no longer bound to the sins of yesterday, but we have been released, set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, for our congregation locally, Lord, that you would help us to abide in your presence. As they sang the song, the, make us aware of your presence. Lord, help us not to forget that we are abiding in the vine. And Lord, that your presence is forever around us. And Lord, when we speak, may we speak with the understanding that our purpose is for life, for hope, for encouragement, to uplift. And Lord, I recognize that when we are walking in the flesh, we tend to divide we tend to criticize. We tend to walk in critical spirit. And I pray, Lord, that as we, as the body of Christ, as a small portion of the body of Christ corporately around the world, help us as a church universal, God, to set our eyes on you. Lord, to recognize that our goal, the high calling for which we are called to is you, Lord. And I pray that our eyes will be set on you to bring wholeness, to bring completeness, to bring uplift and life-giving to all that we come in contact with, to build up the body of Christ, to build up the kingdom of God, to know that we are your servants. Lord, I pray for our national leaders. And Lord, I pray that you intervene. God, we need a national awakening of your spirit. We need a Holy Ghost move locally and globally. Lord, we need to see your presence moving. And Lord, it starts with us. It starts with individuals seeking your face, individuals willing to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I submit to you. God, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do, Lord Jesus. God, search us as David cried out. Search our hearts. See if there's anything as... as Paul says, what has hindered you? Lord, there are some who have been walking this faith who have been hindered. And I pray that we will not allow anything to hinder us from drawing near to you, God. Lord, I pray for healing and wholeness in the body of Christ. And Lord, all of the hurts and brokenness that have been 
done religiously, that have been done in errant of your word, I pray, God, that you'll forgive the local congregation and the body as a whole, and that you'll help us to recognize that just as we have received the grace of God in our brokenness while we were still in sin, you died for us. Lord, help us to be willing to extend that grace to others, to build them up, to show them a more perfect way, and that is through the work that you have done for us. God, we surrender to you. We bless your name. We honor you. We thank you that you're in this house. We thank you, God, Lord, for the study of Galatians. And we pray that we will grow through this, uh, through this series of studies, through this uh, looking into the depths of your word. May we honor you and may we learn from you and may we grow in you. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. It has been enjoyable to hear these phenomenal teachers that we have. Good to hear them sharing and, and expounding on God's Word. Uh, I am privileged to jump into chapter 3, recognizing that the first two chapters, um, the Apostle Paul was kind of... Um, hitting pretty hard the errors of, of the Galatians head-on. Uh, he was, chapters 1 and 2 was kind of uh, confrontational. He was really hitting them. And, and you can see that, that spirit of confrontation is, is right there when you look at how uh, he talked about Peter and the men, uh, the men from James. And, and all this makes for a kind of a highly charged atmosphere, but... When we get into chapter 3, the, the, Paul's still disappointed. The tone is somewhat, you know, I'm disappointed, but it, it begins to be softer. It begins to be more positive in direction, and, and we want to get into that. Just I, mean, I, I like what, um, kind of using multiple uh, materials, and, and these guys will tell you, we're kind of using the material that we grabbed, it's more of a Bible study, um, and, it's, and it's really good for personal study. I, I think, Derek, would you agree with that? It's really good for personal study. It's not great, necessarily great to teach from, but it's good for personal study, and um, I think Dr. Mosher and I has already discussed that. And So we're, we're kind of using it as an outline and a springboard, um, but we're delving into multiple uh, materials to dig into Galatians. I love what Warren Wiersbe um, says as an introduction to chapter 3. He says for, he's actually talking about chapter 3 and chapter 4. He says chapter 3 and 4 are doctrinal, for in them Paul explains the relationship between law and grace. Three words that are repeated frequently are faith, which is mentioned 14 times in chapter 3 and 4, Law, mentioned 19 times, and promise, 11 times. And uh, through these two chapters uh, that we're coming up on, uh, there are six specific arguments that he will make as it pertains to um, salvation by faith. 
Amen. So, once again, we're going to jump into uh, chap- chapter 3. We recognize that, uh, once again, that Paul, uh, as far as verse 6 of chapter 1 says, I was amazed, astonished, that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And Paul's confronting um, there in chapter 1 and 2, confronting Gal- uh, the the Galatians about how that the Judaizers, we'll call them the Judaizers, had come in, those, and understanding that the Judaizers are actually Christians who were, who were converted from Judaism, but yet they were still uh, following the law. And so they were pressing their belief system of, of their ideas that, and this is kind of hard for them to grasp because if the Messiah came through the lineage of the Jews, then for them, they thought that the Gentiles had to become Jews before they could accept the Messiah. And so, therefore, they were trying to press this idea of uh, you need to be one of us so that you can accept this Messiah that you, that you proclaim. That's kind of the idea that um, our mentality that they had. And so, once again, Paul is trying to correct that. And, and it starts out, and I'm, I'm using the New American Standard uh, Bible. Um, that's, I, I really enjoy it. It's closely to the New King James. Um, it was one that uh, my professor, Lee, talked me into. <laughs> Dr. Battle, did you ever have Dr. Battle? Any of you ever had Dr. Battle? You did, and multiple times. And he he talked about, especially in our Greek class, that the New American Standard was one of the um, closely aligned with the original um, Greek. I found that New Te- the New King James was very similar. So, but anyway, I landed with New the New American Standard. It says, "You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before?" Th- whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I'll try to go um, verse by verse instead of chunk by chunk and go through that. So when you think of old foolish Galatians, the it's kind of a strong word. I mean, we don't like to be called foolish. <laughs> um, I've probably done some foolish things, but uh, we don't like to be called that. It, it's, it's pretty harsh, um, probably deserved, the the Phillips translation, have, how many of you ever read the Phillips translation, you've read out of that, I mean, the Phillips translation says, oh you dear idiots of Galatia, that's kindly putting it, I guess, <laughs> uh, calling the Galatians foolish. Paul, Paul didn't mean uh, that they were morally or mentally deficient. He wasn't trying to say, hey, you're, you're just a bunch of um, you know, mentally deficient people, uh, idiots. You're, you know, he wasn't trying to say that. Uh, the, that. If you use that word, it's more of the moros and had the idea um, used, you know, used in that way. But, but the word used here was really a word that had the idea that... Um, 
one who can think but fails to use the power of perception. Uh, you ever met a genius? A genius can be absolutely uh, amazing in deducting some type of situation, but can struggle with tying their shoe. And that's the, uh, I think that was even said of Einstein, wasn't it? That, that he couldn't even tie a shoe. But to think, that, that's kind of the idea that Paul's making with the, Galatians, the Galatian people. He said, you know, you, know you, you have the smarts to know it's raining, but you don't have the wisdom to get out of the rain. And, and how many times do we see the body of Christ who, have, who has studied the word of God, who has delved into discipleship and yet are, are foolish in the sense of their lack of application for truth? Amen and oh me, right? <clears throat> so the principles Paul referred to are things that Galatia knew. The Galatian church knew these, the things they had been taught, things that they had uh, grasped knowledge and understanding that, that was theirs, and yet they was not using this knowledge. They wasn't uh, walking in this knowledge. They wasn't living in this freedom. And how many times do we as Christians have a knowledge of truth, but yet don't walk in the freedom that God has given us? We walk bound. And Paul to us would say, Oh, foolish Amcog. God help us. Who has bewitched you? You know, the, the word bewitched, this is not the twinkling of the nose, you know. Some of y'all are old enough to remember that. <laughs> Some of you are not. I'm just kidding. Um, who has bewitched you? The idea that Galatians, Galatians were under some type of spell. Paul, Paul didn't mean that uh, that they were literally under a spell. He wasn't trying to say that by any means. Um, but what has clouded their thinking? What has entered in, and as, as I said in, in the prayer, um, and we'll later see, what has interrupted you? What has hindered you? What has entered in? So, so unbiblically, what has entered in to cloud your mind? What has taken the space of what God has placed in you? Uh, Barclay, a uh, great theologian, translates bewitched as put the evil eye on. Put the evil eye on. The ancient Greeks were accustomed, uh, accustomed to and afraid of the idea that a spell could be cast upon them by the evil eye. Uh, I feel that way every time Kim is upset with me. I get the evil eye. You know what? I need to be careful. She's not here, but I know she's driving from on her way home, and she says, I'm going to look, I'm going to turn that um, live stream on, so, babe, I'm sorry. But those still blue eyes are pretty uh, dangerous anyway. The evil eye was, was thought to work in a way, uh, in the way a serpent could hypnotize its prey with its eyes. Once the victim looked into the evil eye, a spell could be cast. So, and the way to overcome the evil eye was simply not to look at it. It's using the phrase and the word, a picture of bewitched. And Paul encouraged the Galatians to keep your eyes always on Jesus. Amen? Fix your eyes on him. 
and you won't have to worry about the evil eye, so to speak. <laughs> it's, a, it's wonderful to have a soft, tender heart before God, but some people have softer heads than hearts. And their minds are so accommodating to wrong. We, how many know that the church has gotten soft in some areas? The church in general has permitted things to happen, and some of it's all in the name of growing the church. Well, we don't want to offend anybody because we, we, want, we want the church to grow. But yet, we have left the fidelity of the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God and allowed the softness of the head and rather than the softness of the hands and uh, or softness of the heart. So we have to be careful not to have a soft mind, unbiblical ideas, to the things that don't line up with the truth of God's Word that are not according to biblical truth. And this is a sign of, in reality, this is a sign of, of, of spiritual immaturity. When you allow things around you, you know, the word tolerate, we for a season, I loved the, there was a material that came out by Josh McDowell 25 years ago, and it was taught, we used it as a campaign through, through church at, at South Cleveland Church of God when I was um, serving in, in ministry to the uh, adult youth, the youth assistant pastor with Chris Moody when he was assistant pastor there. And um, it talked about the idea of toleration. And that the world has tried to change the word tolerate to mean um, it's not just I allow you to be around, but to tolerate literally means to accept and to agree with what the thought process around us. And that, that mentality has swept throughout our, our nation. And that's why a church that stands for truth is considered intolerant, bigotry. But yet, in reality is, is we have a great heart for broken people. The truth is, is that we really do care for those who are struggling. We tolerate, in the true sense of tolerate, we, we permit them to be around, but not for the view of acceptance or the view of inclusion or the view that we agree with, but for the purpose that we love them so much and believe that if they're around God can change their lives. And so we preach in a manner that says God can change your life. Amen. So going into the verse, it says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's kind of like something like a billboard. Uh, the, to publicly display is, is setting on a billboard. Paul wondered how the Galatians could have missed this great message. Look, I've been telling you this, he said. Look, this is not something that's been hidden. This is not something that I have tried to go behind the screen and, and just tell a few people. I have expressed this to you. I have showed you my life. I have lived this before you. And, and so how could this be hidden from you? How could, this, how could you not understand? How could you have not seen? Right? I mean, he's... When he says before your eyes, he's not saying, look, you are eyewitnesses to the crucifixion. But he is expressing that, as Paul said, I bear my bodies the marks. He's expressing that this is a message that I have, I have 
absolutely portrayed before you. I have not given you any other means by which to be saved. This is the only way. This is the truth. This is what I've shared with you. So don't be be bewitched, right? Galatians chapter 2 and 3, Paul confronts the departure from the principle of faith. Goes on and says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. So he starts asking some questions. He starts giving a little bit of a, an interview. This is how you find out some information, right? So he says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Hmm. This is only what I want to learn from you. Just tell me this, Paul said. You ever been in a situation where you're talking to somebody and there's a little bit of a disagreement and you want to find out where they're coming from? Just tell me this. Did this happen this way or, or am I wrong? Help me out here. So that's kind of what he said. Did you receive the Spirit through the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Obviously, the Galatians received the Holy Spirit through simple faith. The Holy Spirit is not a prize to be earned through the works of the law. They didn't earn this. They received this through faith. Kind of worked like this. A Gentile was told he must come under the law of Moses or God would not bless him. This meant he must be circumcised according to the law of Moses. So he, he has to has the operation, and soon as the cut is made, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon him. Of course, this is not how it works. We receive the Spirit by faith and not by coming under the works of the law. Having begun, he who has begun the good work in you, right? Having begun... In the spirit, are you now made perfect perfect by the flesh? I think this is a really good point for a lot of church people. Because I think this is an area where we have to be careful. Because sometimes we place newcomers in a category, new Christians in a category of the law. We, we, many, of, many of you, many of your generation, especially 70s, 80s, early 90s, were lost because of the, the dogmatic view, within, especially in Pentecostal churches, the holiness movement. You come in and, you know, you got long hair or you got a tattoo or you got anything like that, and, oh, you're going straight to hell. We've placed people in a category of living out a salvation by the flesh versus living out a salvation by the Spirit of God. And, and many were lost. I believe that what we see as the rebellion of society today was birthed out of the rebellion of a religious society rather than a Christian society. We claim Christianity, but we lived out religiosity. That hurts. 
That didn't cost anything either. The Galatians were deceived into thinking that spiritual growth or maturity could be achieved through the works of the flesh instead of continued simple faith abiding in Jesus. Another way, to, uh, another way to, to say Paul's message is like this. You receive the greatest gift, the Holy Spirit of God, by faith. Are you going on from there not by faith, but by trusting in your own obedience under the law of Moses? Absolutely, that won't work, right? So this, this right here lays out the fundamental differences between the principles of the law and the principles of grace. Under law, we are blessed and grow spiritually by earning and deserving. However, under grace, we are blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. Thank God for believing and receiving. Under grace, we are blessed and grow spiritually by believing and receiving. God deals with you under uh, the covenant of grace. We should not respond on the principles of the law. Are you foolish? That would be foolish indeed, right? It would be foolish to think that we can live a life for God on our own capacity. That's why I love the slogan that we have, everybody needs Jesus. Because we can't live this life without the presence and power of God own our life and living in him. But isn't it, isn't it amazing? Isn't it exactly what the enemy wants? Isn't that what Satan wants is to distract us, to cultivate in the Christian world? He's, he's not going to come in and say, you know, he's not going to come in with, with things that we know are wrong. He's going to push us to a level of religiosity that makes us so valiant for religion that causes us to be distracted from simplistic trust in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and 4 is a question about the past. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Have you suffered... So many things in vain. Apparently, the Galatians had, perhaps when Paul was among them, suffered for the principle of faith. I mean, we understand Paul suffered. We can see that in Acts chapter 14. He suffered for the faith. And I imagine the Galatians also suffered for the faith, whether it be um, through the hands of legalistic Christians at the time or whatever. And, and, and what he's saying... Would their departure from the principle of faith mean that this past suffering was in vain? I mean, think about this, because it was a huge step to believe in Jesus Christ as Messiah. But going back, according to to Hebrews, going back would nullify even the belief system that we had in the past. Are you willing to lay aside all of that, all of this struggle and trial? And that's why I love James. James, I think, is a great balance for Galatians. 
Because it's the, it's the struggle that is what produces in us faith. And, and James gives us the balance in the sense that he says, you know, I'll show you my faith, right? But faith without works is dead. Now, we understand we don't get, we're not saved through works, but there is a production that happens through faith. We're not going to get into that right now. <laughs> we know that Paul suffered throughout that region. We saw that, and I mentioned that in Acts chapter 14, makes, makes it super clear that Paul and his companions were persecuted uh, tremendously. Paul even had been stoned and left for dead by the Jews when they were among the, the cities of Galatia. So surely some of the persecution spilled over to the Christian congregations and, uh, that Paul had left behind. Have you suffered so many things in vain? Perhaps a better translation of this phrase is, have you had such wonderful spiritual experiences all to no purpose? You know, it, it pains me to see someone who, who has grown up or raised in the church who, who I have personally seen blessed in an altar or slain in the spirit or seen God's hand move on them and see them walk away from that experience. And, it, and we understand that these, perp, these experiences are for purpose, to grow us, to, to help us on the journey. It's kind of like, you know, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. And you're thinking, how in the world can a rod and a staff comfort me? But, but we understand that the, the, the shepherds would really notch a line in the staff every time they defeat an enemy. And so the experiences of overcoming the enemy become the experiences that drive us. And what Paul's saying is, is, is all these experiences for no purpose at all? Have you not overcome things? And have you not seen God's hand move and now you're just willy walking away, giving up, producing or walking in another gospel? Galatians 3 and 5, Paul asked them to examine the source of the Spirit's work. He says, therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? We all good? Who supplies the Spirit to you? We know, right? Obviously, the Spirit was a gift of God. A gift from God. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? God supplied the Holy Spirit in response to faith. Miracles are wrought by faith. Amen? Yet the Galatians were deceived into thinking the, the real spiritual riches lie in pursuing God through works of relationship. I'm cautious to promote materials that are being produced in certain circles of Christianity today because there seems to be such a push for self-righteousness. It doesn't say that. But there's such a works-based mentality in some of those things that, that it concerns me. Are we deceiving people? Are we... Are we, are we Making people bound again to the law. 
Are we truly living in the, 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 wor- the work of the Holy Spirit? Paul repeated the phrase in, in Galatians 3.2 because he wanted to emphasize there was a choice to be made. Which will, which will it be? Which, how are you going to live? Do you believe you will be blessed by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? Will you earn and deserve your blessings from God or will you believe and receive it? This speaks to those who see a lack of blessings. Why? Not from a lack of devotion, not because they haven't earned enough, but because they're not putting their faith, their joyful and confident expectation in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Love the song, my hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy In other words, all of me leans on him. And if we put our expectation, you know, I find that when my expectation has failed, it's usually because I've placed that expectation in in something other than Christ Jesus. I've placed it in the church. I've placed it in a person who I had confidence in, and that person failed me, so my expectation was down. But if, if I put my trust in Jesus and him alone, then my expectation will always be met. Amen. Ooh, I gotta, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Galatians chapter 3 and 6. So how Abraham was made righteous before God. So I, I love this because then he, then Paul, he, he's, he's confronted them with these questions. And then he begins to give examples of what that looks like. And so he brings in Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Wow, just as Abraham. Once again, among the Galatian Christians, the push towards a works-based relationship with God came from certain Christians who were born as Jews and who claimed Abraham as their spiritual ancestor. So therefore, Paul, he smacks him in the face. He says, wait a minute, Paul used Abraham as an example of being right before God by faith and not by faith plus works. One theologian says, it it mattered a great deal to the apostle that God saves people by grace, not on the grounds of their human achievement, and he found Abraham an excellent example of that truth. Abraham believed God. So, where does he find this at? You have to go all the way back to Genesis 15 and 6. And so, Paul is pulling from uh, the, the Old Testament experience. It simply shows that righteousness was accounted to Abraham because he believed God. It was not because, you have that up, good. And he believed in the Lord and he, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And so, it was not because he performed some work or certainly certainly not because he was circumcised because the covenant of, of that covenant had not even been established. Um, he, had not, he didn't get circumcised until uh, Genesis 17, two chapters later, if you will. So, this was before 
the four, the, the covenant of circumcision had even been given, and yet here he is, he believes in God. Genesis chapter 1 through 6 shows that when Abraham put his trust in God, specifically in God's promise to give him children, that he would eventually bring forth the Messiah. God credited his belief to Abraham's account as righteousness. Abraham was not justified merely because he believed that God would multiply a seed, but because he embraced the grace of God, trusting in the promise of the mediator. Now, you know what I love is, is if you look at that scenery, because you have, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 22. I didn't give you guys that scripture right there, Kirsten, I'm sorry. Genesis 22, and I, I don't want to want to take too much time here, but I think it's important to see this because what did Abraham believe in? What was it that, because there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. And I think that's another problematic thing that we find in the movement of Christianity that people believe in God. They're not atheists, but they don't believe God. Because if they believe God, you would find, as uh, James said, that the demons believe in God and tremble. So, if you believe God and you believe that He is God and you believe what He says He will do, then you would follow Him as He has said to follow, right? So, there's the people who believe in God, but they don't believe God because if they really believe God, they would follow Him. They would trust Him. I love this here because this shows, in reality, Abraham believed God. What did he believe about God? He believed He believed in the resurrection before the resurrection. And if you look at this, in verse 2 of 22, it says, he said, take now your son, your only son, one might say only begotten son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow. Now, Abraham believes the promise. Abraham says, the Lord's told him, look, Abraham, through, your, through the seed of Isaac, I'm going to produce and bless the nations. So here's God now telling Abraham, take your son, and look, he says, only son. No, this is not the only son, right? There's an Ishmael around there too somewhere. But this is the son of promise. This is the only begotten son, the son of promise, whom you love, right? Now, I don't know if, have you ever heard of the law of first mentions? Where when something is mentioned for the first time, the significance of that. Think about this. This is the first time that L-O-V-E has been mentioned in all of the Bible. First time. It's like, whoa! Take your only son whom you love. Sacrifice. Now, the onus really for, for Abraham, the onus is on God. He's like, look, Lord, you're the one that said that this would be 
the seed of which the nations will be blessed. And so therefore, I trust you that if you say this, then you must have a plan. And, and this is what follows. He says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkeys. He went and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he, he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, the two young men, stay here with the donkey, listen to this, and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. He's already walking in faith. He's already believing. Look, either God's going to supply or God's going to raise him up after the slaughter because he's coming back with me. Come on. That's faith. That's powerful. So what did he do? He took him up to the mountain. He made the altar. He bound his only love son, and put him on the altar. Of course, you know, Isaac has said, hey, uh, what's happening here? What, where's the lamb for the offering? That's in verse 7. In verse 8, Abraham says, God will provide for himself. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. If you, if you look at this, this is a type of, of God the Father and Christ Jesus the Son. And what's unique is, is he is, Abraham is giving a prophecy because he calls that place Jehovah Jireh, the place of provision. And, and so, you know, here, years later, on the same place is the Son of God. Being, and so God understands what it means to give your son, right? He understands what it means to offer your only begotten, loved son for the sins of others. And that is what Abraham believed in and was counted unto him as righteousness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Now, this statement. This statement is actually mentioned, you can see it in Romans chapter 4, three different times in Romans chapter 4, 4, 3, Romans 4, 9 through 10, Romans 4, 22, then as we see here in Galatians chapter 3, 6. Romans 4, 9 through 10 kind of makes a little bit more, um, gives a little fact to that, to that account. He says, because it was before he was circumcised. Then it's 17, no one could say Abraham was made righteous because of his obedience to the fulfillment of religious laws or rituals. It was faith and faith alone that caused God to account Abraham righteousness. Now, when it says accounted to him for righteousness, the word account is, could be reckoned. The word account could be calculate. Uh, how many of y'all have a bank account, Right? And, and, and so in those term, that terminology, it's as if the account was empty. Your righteousness account is empty, and God saw your faith in believing in him, and he put into your bank account righteousness. You know, the great thing about 
The great thing about that is, is that, I mean, how many of you have ever had your parents put some money in your account? Yeah. Some of y'all wasn't as fortunate, huh? My Wesley, you know, uh, going to school in Alabama, and, you know, I, I've noticed because I'm on his account, I've noticed that his account's getting low. And I noticed that his, um, his car payment is drafted out of that account. And I'm thinking, I've probably got, I, I'm probably going to have to put some funds in that account unless this job starts pretty quickly. And God's looking at us and saying, you can't earn this. There's not a job that you can get that can put money in this account. There's no direct deposits from you. There's nothing you can earn. There's nothing you can accomplish that will make me put more in your account than somebody else's account. It's only as you believe me that I will then deposit into your account righteousness. And so therefore, our righteousness, as stated in other areas, our righteousness is as filthy rags in ourself. It's only as we depend on the righteousness of God that that righteousness is pure and holy and we can stand before God without wrath or without doubting because of our belief in Him and our belief in following Him. Amen. Ooh, Lord have mercy. The good thing is, is Kim gets to finish this chapter. So whatever I don't finish, she's got. She's good. And she is a in my book, a much better teacher, believed in God. As I stated a while ago, it, it, it's, it's more than just a belief in God. It's a believe God. I mean, the, the Word of God tells us that those who come to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. So, we, But this is more than just believing that he exists. Because when you, if you just believe that he exists, there's not an urgency to seek him. There's not an urgency to obey him. There's not an urgency to follow what God says. That's, that's why so many of these Bibles are sold that sometimes are never unpackaged, that sometimes are never read, that sometimes are just put on a coffee table or on a shelf and, and, and it's not participated in. Because it's only a belief in God. But if it's a belief, <laughs> if it's a believing God, then we understand this word is powerful, right? We understand this word is, is the sword of the Spirit. We understand that this is the daily guide. This is the, this is the roadmap that we live by. This is the living, breathing word that God wants to give us, life-giving. And if we believe God, then this becomes our greatest book ever ever imagined. This becomes the greatest thing that we could ever have, the greatest tool, the greatest weapon that we could acknowledge and use and participate in this, right? Believed, of course, means more than just accepting what God said as true. It means that we trust God and follow. Amen. Moving right along. Galatians 3 and 7, this talks about true sons of Abraham. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
tell you, this, this, is, some, this is some meaty areas, and, and I'm, I'm really okay with extending and going longer or, you know, taking an extra week or so to finish if we have to, but therefore, no. The emphasis, the emphasis here is really clear. Paul made an important point, and he wanted those to really grasp a hold of what he's saying. The word no is, is, an, is an imperative. It's a, it's a command. No, you need to know this, right? Paul commands the Galatians to acquire this piece of knowledge. Only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Since Abraham was made righteous by faith and not by works, Abraham was therefore the father of everyone who believes God and is accounted in in righteousness. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. Come on. Some of y'all went to children's church when y'all was younger. <laughs> the word for the word for son. I think there's there's three different words or four different words. The huas, hui. And this is not so much children. This is not saying the children of Abraham. This is the son, the sons of Abraham. And, and can really, one person said this could be called the real Abrahams. The real Abrahams. Are sons of Abraham. This, this was a strong rebuke to the Jewish Christians who tried to bring those Gentile Christians under the law. They believed that they were superior because they were descendants. They were, they were the ones who had descended from him and, and they observed the law. Paul said that the most important link to Abraham was not the link of genetics, but the link of faith. Now, this would have probably shocked and you can imagine the, the, the idea of their thinking for these particular opponents of Paul. They, they deeply believed that they had been standing before God because they were genetically descendants of Abraham. And at that time, some of the Jewish rabbis taught that Abraham stood at the gates of hell just to make sure that none of the descendants would ac- accidentally uh, slip into hell. John the Baptist dealt with this same thinking when he said in Matthew chapter 3 and 9, he says, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Wow. Paul knocked down their blind reliance on their genetics. It's kind of like thinking, you know, and this is an error thinking on myself. My dad owned Anderson Steel Processing growing up. And I, you know, in my ignorance, I thought he, I thought we had plenty of funds. And I thought, man, I'm going to get me some nice Cadillac or something like that when I get old enough to drive. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) I got my first job at 13 and had to buy my own car at 14. (laughs) And it was not a Cadillac or a Mustang or anything fancy. It was a little 1982 Nissan hardbody truck that didn't take me six months before I had Definitely wrapped it around a tree. 
But the mentality is, is we, we, we get into this mindset, well, my grandmother was a phenomenal Christian and a believer in God, and we start living under the guise and under the umbrella of family, patriarchs and matriarchs and family. I mean, I hear people and doing funerals, I don't know what we're going to do now. She was, just the, she was just the spiritual leader of our home. I'm thinking, what? Where's your faith? Are you saved because you are connected to a dynamic woman of God, or are you saved because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? It has to be your faith. It can't be grandma's faith, and it can't be mama's faith or daddy's faith. It has to be the faith that you live out, your belief in God, and you're walking that faith out. Amen. Amen. I also want to dispel the idea that this is replacement theology. Some of you may understand replacement theology, and some of that mindset is, is that, that because of this, these statements, that those who believe in Jesus Christ as Gentiles replace the Jewish nation, that the Jewish nation is no longer of importance, of significance, and therefore it is now just those who believe and that's not the fact either, because you have to take the whole of Scripture. You have to take all of Scripture. This is maybe an incident that somebody could take out and try to make those statements, but that is false. There's a special place in the heart of God for Israel. Amen? And so we're not in the replacement of, but we have been given the right uh, we've been grafted in, as one, ver- as one scripture says, we've been grafted into the branch, if you will. Uh, and so, therefore, we are, by faith, sons of Abraham, spiritually, and by faith, genetically, I guess I could say. All right, I am, I am going to close here. I'm going to let Kim uh, finish us up on this, but uh, I hope. I hope that uh, this has been encouraging to you, and I hope it's been uh, something that stirs you. But Galatians 8 and 9, I'm going to read that. This is, this is the blessings of righteousness, righteousness by faith for all nations. And the Scriptures, I love how he points out that the Scriptures, and at this point, this is going to be great, because at this point, he goes back into the Old Testament and begins pulling Scripture. He didn't just say, well, um, he didn't just try to prove this from experience. He didn't just try to prove this from, you know, uh, something that he's taught or grabbed from. He's now taking it back to Scripture. This is what the Scripture, this is the things that you've been taught. This is the things that you believe. And now because of these things. So, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the nations by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, talking about before uh, before the covenant, before Judaism, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed by, with believing Abraham. And we will end right there, and I will let Kim uh, take off. And uh, there's some great, great scripture. And I hope that, I hope that you are uh, digging in at home and, and letting this soak in. and. Um, growing as well. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your words. I thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are so gracious to us.
Thank you, Lord, that you identify errant ways in us. Lord, that we become, as the body, uh, accountable partners to one another. We become encouragers of one another. We are, we are one body. And Lord, I pray that, that you will guard us from the deceptions of the world, that you'll guard us from errant ways, that you'll guard us from trying to rely on ourself for spiritual gain. But Lord, I also want us to grasp a hold of that there is a fruit of repentance, that there is a way that we live because we believe in you, not because we want to be saved, but because we believe in you, we desire to follow you. We desire to live out in a manner of life depending on your spirit to give us the equipping and the empowering to live that life, a life that is pleasing and honoring to you. And I pray that that is something that stirs in us. I pray that that is something that sweeps across the body of Christ because we have so many who believe in you, but I'm not sure if they really believe you. God, help us to be sold out, if you will, to your purpose and your plan. Help us to live a life that is according to our belief in you. And Lord, I pray that you will put into our account righteousness. Righteousness because of your love, because of your grace, because of your mercy. Bless each one of us indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions before we roll? Marvin, you got anything? I, I just feel like it. I'm just sensing it. <laughs> now, we've got a lot of questions. Yes, I do. I will be much obliged to share it. Um, I wasn't sure if I was actually going to make it to camp meeting because of the trip to Honduras, but I do plan on going. And so if, if anyone would like a ride, I don't know that I'll stay down there, but I, I do plan on going at least for a few nights. And if you'd like to go, I'd love to carpool if you want, or we'll take the bus if we want. We'll have a good time. Last week, man, South Carolina had the senior adult uh, conference. They had over 800 senior adults at the conference. Uh, they had some phenomenal speakers. Tim Hill came, and they said that, my mom said that uh, he, he came in, and he was supposed to preach, and she said, he just said, I feel in my spirit that I'm just supposed to sing tonight. And he spent an hour and about 20 minutes just singing. And they said they were super blessed. And, uh, man, that guy can sing and is an anointed singer of that. Amen. Any other questions? Appreciate you guys. Um, remember Jim Blodgett, if you have a chance and, and – uh, have a relationship with him in any way. Encourage him. Call him. Um, he he definitely would love to hear from you. Definitely love to hear from you.
Um, also, remember, there's there's several different ones. <laughs> um, Ed and Cornelia Verkham, remember them as well. Lu Louise Latham, remember her. Uh, have different shut-ins and and uh, remember them as well. Appreciate you guys. Go live by faith, amen. <laughs> For the just shall live by faith. <laughs> Back at two. Pentecost Sunday. Let's get ready. Oh Lord, send the fire just now. Oh Lord, send the fire just now. Oh Lord, send the fire just now and baptize everyone.